welcome to another Signs of Our Times Bible study. This week we're doing Genesis chapter 1 part 2. Last week we did the first half of Genesis chapter 1. This week we're closing it out. going to also finish with a short study on evolution. So make sure you stay tuned for that. And I hope you all enjoy it. And God bless you all and Godspeed. God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. Now, many people here, when you read this for the first time, you're going to think, okay, so God created the sun, and that brought us the daylight, and here we go, there's light. I don't believe that's so, because if you go further in the book of Genesis, in verse 16 of chapter 1, that's when God made the two great lights, which are the sun and the moon. So here, I believe he's talking about a different light altogether. And I believe the light that he's talking about is him, his light, because God is the light. God is light. So since the earth in chapter 2 was covered in darkness, the darkness of Satan remaining over from the first earth, which is not really a new earth, it's still the same earth, but it had been judged. So that darkness was prevailing over the earth, so God had to bring in his light. He had to cover the earth that he's about to create in his light. And that's where you're going to find everything that he creates on this earth is going to be good. God said it was good. God thought it was good, good, good. Because it's filled with his light, his goodness, his grace, his mercy, his order. It's going to be filled with his government. So the earth now is going to be made in God's light. Let there be light. And God said that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. So Satan's darkness now, I believe, is being confined to the pit, the abyss. And obviously, throughout history, he's there's going to be much activity from that abyss, much demonic activity, satanic activity on the earth, as mankind starts to move away from God and starts to live in sin. Satan's going to have more and more reign over the earth. As we find today, spiritually, he's the ruler of this world, which I also explained in the last study. So you want to go back and watch that. I give all the Bible verses why Satan is the spiritual ruler of this world. Even though God created it, God is the king of the universe, the creator of the universe, the ruler of the universe. Satan, mankind, chooses to serve him. And Adam also ceded authority over to him in the garden. We're going to read about that in the coming chapters. So, Satan is the spiritual ruler of this world, but God created it, and God made it in his goodness, in his light. So he divided his light from Satan's darkness. Now mankind chooses, do we want to live in God's light, or do we want to live in the darkness of Satan? That's all up to mankind. When I say God is light, I want to give you guys some, some Bible verses about that, like I did in the first study. I always back up everything with Bible verses, so... Let's go through real quick about some verses that associate God with the light, being the light. We got uh, 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 to 9. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Darkness is of Satan, light is of God. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16, he alone has immortality who dwells in unapproachable light. 
Isaiah chapter 60, verse 19. The sun shall no more be your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light. So right there, God's light is altogether different from sunlight and moonlight. Revelation 21, verses 23 to 25. This is speaking about the New Jerusalem, which you can also read about in my new book. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. The light is from the glory of God, and its lamp of the city is the Lamb, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. John chapter 1, verses 4 to 8. In him, Jesus Christ was life, and the life was the light of men. The light of God, of Jesus Christ, shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. John chapter 9, verses 5 to 7. Jesus said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world, because he was God in the flesh. So he just always was radiating the light of God. John chapter 12, verses 46. I have come into the world as light, so that whosoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Again, that's Jesus speaking. John chapter 3, verses 19 to 28. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, Jesus Christ. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whosoever does what is true comes to the light. Sound like our world today? So many people love the darkness. They love mocking God and attacking God. And they love satanic things, demonic things. They love everything that God says is a sin in the Holy Bible. They love it. So they will not come to the light. They will not come to Jesus Christ. They will not come to God and his goodness and his mercy. They loved the darkness because their works are evil. And they hate the light. That's why they hate conservative Christians like me. That's why they hate Bible thumpers like me. They hate the light. But whosoever does what is true comes to the light. What is true? Truth is the word of God. So whoever lives by the word of God is living by what is true, and thus we are in the light. Now also there are some verses that call us, believers, to be the light. Since we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, once we are saved by Jesus Christ and washed in his blood, we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Therefore we, as believers, are called to radiate God's light just like Jesus Christ did when he was on earth. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16 says, You are the light of the world. You are. Believers, Christians, are the light of the world. Now that Jesus ascended into heaven, you're the light. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it gives light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Jesus is saying here, you can't be like that Christian who gets saved, believes the word of God, believes God, loves God, loves Jesus, but at the same time, you keep the Bible and the word of God confined to your home, confined to your mind, confined to your heart. Uh, you keep it confined to your church. You don't preach it to unbelievers. You don't um, give out Bibles. You don't give out the word of God. You don't wear your cross unashamed in front of the secular, godless world. Uh, you won't talk about God on Twitter or on Facebook or on social media because you don't want to be outcast. You don't want to be mocked. What you're doing there is you are 
the candle that is putting a bushel over your head. So that when people walk into a room, they don't, they can't tell you apart from everybody else. They can't tell if you're just another secular-minded person like them or if you're a God-fearing Christian. We need to be set apart. Jesus said you need to be that candlestick that's set on the table in the middle of the room that illuminates the whole room. So me, the reason a lot of people ask me why I wear such a big cross is because every room I walk into, whether I'm at a grocery store, I'm at work, or in an airport, wherever I'm at, everyone, even though I do not speak one word to them, Everyone has to have an encounter and experience with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Everyone has to come in contact with Jesus Christ on the cross, remembering and having brought to their mind that Jesus Christ died for them, for their sins. And again, I don't have to say one word to them. They get it. They have to look at it. Now what they do with it is up to them. But that's my way of wherever I go radiating the light of God to whomever I come in contact with, or to whomever's path I cross. Now, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 and 9 says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. I was in darkness, like I said, for over a decade. Now I'm in the light. Many of you watching this are in darkness. And normally you would mock me. Normally you would say, oh, you conservative Christians are so crazy. You're going to remain in darkness, and things are going to continue to go bad for you until you come to Jesus, until you come to the light. Trust me, I've been there, I've done that, I've played on both sides of the fence. You need to come to the light. Acts chapter 13, verse 47, For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. We are meant to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ, the word of God, to all the ends of the earth. Jesus said, take my word to all creation. So you got, like I said, a lot of Christians today who are like, I don't want to offend anybody. They believe what they believe. I believe what I believe. And, you know, if they go to hell, that's on them. That's between them and God. If God wants to save them, he'll save them. You're God's light. You're God's vessel. The Holy Spirit is in you. So if you... Feel the Holy Spirit nudging you to say, go up to this person and speak the love of Jesus to them. Go up to this person and speak about the Holy Bible to them. If you don't listen, you're disobeying the Holy Spirit. If you don't listen, you're disobeying Jesus' great commission to take the gospel to all creation. All means all. It doesn't mean only take it just to Christians. Don't take it just to fellow church members. Don't take it to your just your family. Don't take it to just other white people. Don't take it to just other Americans. Take it to everybody, the Buddhists, the Hindus, the Muslims, anybody, everybody, atheists, Satanists. Take it to the world. That's what Jesus wants you to do. What they do with it is on them. If they scoff at you, if they mock you, if they laugh at you, if they want nothing to do with you, that's on them. But at least you brought God's word to them and you were God's light for him. We are ambassadors of Christ and of God on earth. If you truly believe Jesus is your king, if you truly believe God is your king, serve him. If you truly believe that Jesus is Lord, serve him. Otherwise, if you just keep it to yourself, what good of a servant are you? Honestly, you're not serving anything but yourself. Because you don't want to be mocked, you don't want to be attacked, you don't want to be called a bigot, you don't want to be called a hater. It's going to happen in this world. So you need to train yourself to be more bold. And the more you speak the word of God, the more you 
defend the word of God, God will fill you with that boldness. He will fill you with no fear that you may be able to go out into the secular world filled with evil and stand on his word of truth and speak his word of truth to the heathen. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 to 17 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? God and Satan have no fellowship. <clears throat> That's why Satan fell from heaven. He didn't want to do things God's way anymore. He wanted to do things his own way. He wanted to be God. So, since God and Satan don't have any fellowship, light and darkness don't have any fellowship, that means that righteousness, which is of God, and lawlessness, which is of Satan, have no fellowship. That means that we and unbelievers have no fellowship. you got to get that. That's why St. Paul says, don't be unequally yoked. You can't marry an unbeliever if you're a believer. You can't marry a Muslim if you're a believer. Number one, you're going to get raped and beaten at will. But number two, righteousness and lawlessness can't coexist. Our word of God and their word of God are antithetical. So you can't be co-inhabiting with unbelievers. You can't be hanging out with only unbelievers. You can't be going to godless movies or listening to godless music or going to godless concerts or doing secular things with godless heathen because they're going to influence you and they're going to pull you away from the word of God or you're just going to hide your faith the whole time you're around them. What good is that? Don't be unequally yoked. You need to be bold. You need to be brash. Whether they like it, whether they don't like it, in season, out of season, like Timothy said, like Paul said to Timothy. Whether they like it, whether they don't like it, you got to preach the word of God in season and out of season. Now, Philippians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16 will be the last verse I'll give you on light. It says that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Are we in a crooked and twisted generation? Hello. We are in the darkest, most perverted, most crooked, most twisted, most corrupt, most evil generation I think we've ever been in. And it's not because the people inherently are evil. It's because they're following evil things. They're following the darkness and not the light. So we need to shine as the lights in this world to draw them to God. Because if we don't, you want to keep the Bible confined to your own home and to your church? You watch. You can keep complaining about how bad the world is, like I do every day. But at the same time, I'm trying to do something about it. If we're not on the battlefield... Satan is going to have free reign over this world, and he's going to continue to take over this world until tribulation hour comes, and he does, as Antichrist, actually rule over this physical world. If you don't want that to come anytime soon, then you need to get off your butt, and you need to be out there preaching and teaching the Word of God and the love of Christ to everybody you meet and everybody you know, without shame and without fear. We need to shine as lights in this world. All right, so now we're going to jump into verse 5 again, the end of verse 5. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Two things I want to hit on here. You're reading it right. Evening and morning are a day. So in Israel and in God's timeline, a day begins at sundown and ends at sundown. So if you'll notice, if you ever go to Israel... They keep the Sabbath from sundown to sundown. We keep the Holy Biblical Feast, Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Trumpets, Passover. We keep those from sundown to sundown. So unlike today, where we keep a day from sunrise to sunrise, God keeps a day from sundown to sundown. And it says they were the first day. The first day in the Holy Bible is Sunday. Now, I'm going to do a Sabbath Bible study 
and I believe Genesis 2, it might even possibly be Genesis 3, but either way I'm going to touch on a Sabbath Bible study, so I don't want to go too much into that right now. Just want you to know that Saturday is the biblical Sabbath, it's known as Shabbat in the Hebrew, and Sunday is the first day of the week. A lot of people are deceived today to think that Sunday is the Sabbath, it's not, and it is the first day of the week. Saturday is the seventh day. Verse 6, And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. God made the firmament, and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas. And God saw that it was good. So basically all God did here is he took the waters that were upon the earth and the waters that were above those. At that time, there had not yet been a heaven yet. There had not yet been clouds and sky from which rain and snow and, and the weather as we know it today comes from. So he had to separate the waters and that's where he made the firmament from, the heaven. And so he made the dry land. And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven, to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs, and for seasons, and for days, and for years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven, to give light upon the earth, and it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven, to give light upon the earth, and rule over the day and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness, and God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. So here, like I said earlier, God's light in the beginning when he said, let there be light, that was his light. The lights now are the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets. That's what he's creating now. Because he says, put them in the firmament of heaven to divide day from night, sun and moon, etc. He said, let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. What I believe he means here is that he does use the moon and the sun as signs. So when you hear about the blood moons or the century, um, once in a century eclipses, those are signs. Those are God's way of saying we're coming into a season of something, whether it be a season of judgment, whether it be a season of grace, a season of mercy, a season of him doing something new. Jesus said in Matthew 24 and Luke 21, Mark 13, uh, he said, There shall be signs in the sun, in the moon, in the stars, in the heavens. There will be signs pointing to his return. And they would be rare and historic things, such as four blood moon occurrences, and such as um, first eclipse in 99 years to pass over America. I believe that the blood moons... They primarily serve as signs toward Israel, things that are going to happen with Israel, and I believe the eclipses like America experienced in, I think it was 2017, possibly 2018, that has to do with us, our nation. And whatever nations those rare eclipses pass over, that has to do with those nations. 
Okay, so back to uh, Genesis 20. And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that has life and fowl, that they may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. So here we're going to find he's creating the fish of the sea, he's creating the creatures in the sea, and he's creating the birds. Whenever you read about fowls in the King James Version, that just meant birds. Because it says they will fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let fowl multiply in the earth. One thing, you won't catch your first Bible study by yourself, or even maybe a couple studies in, you may not catch it. This is the first reference to God blessing something in the entire Holy Bible. And what's great is He blesses a living thing that He created. So, the things that He gave life to, that He put life breath in, being the fish of the sea, and the birds of the air, he blessed them. So the first creatures he created, he blessed. So if he blessed the animals, how much more are we not blessed? Being made in his own image. Something to meditate on. And we are in verse 23. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle, creeping thing, beast of the earth after his kind, and it was so. So here God's creating uh, the cows, the horses, the mooses, the deer, the giraffe, every, every beast of the earth, lions, and every creeping thing refers to like every insect. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and every living thing that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Three words you want to pay real close attention to in this Genesis Bible study are after his kind, after their kind. He created them after his kind, after their kind. That destroys the theory of evolution. Because it shows that God created every creature in their own distinct, intricate way, with their own functions, with their own minds. So, the evolution theory is just torn to pieces by that, because they say that over time, things just evolved. And I'm going to get into that towards the end of this chapter, if we have time. If not, I may have to put it to next week, but I'm hoping we can finish this Genesis, Genesis chapter 1 study today. So I'm just going to keep going forward here. And God saw... That it was good. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. So you got to get that. We are created in God's image. So if you were to ever take another human life, like Cain did with Abel, it's basically like you're murdering God. You're murdering your creator. So when these Islamists are going around blowing up Christians and Jews and people who don't believe like they do every day, that's why we Christians and Jews are different from them. We don't go around murdering unbelievers. We don't say convert or die. We basically, we present you with our truth. We say, this is the way God says it is. Hope you believe it. If they don't, I mean, we may get into arguments with you. 
We may get in debates with you, but we're not going to take your life. Because to us, all life is precious because all life was created, at least human life, in God's image. And everyone has the chance to come to Christ and be reconciled unto God. So we are created in his own image, not in the image of a monkey. And again, I'm going to get into that in the evolution study here in a few minutes. The next study that I want to hit on is a study of the Trinity. I'm sure you've heard of it before, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, there are certain Christian denominations who do not believe in it. They only believe in Jesus, or they only believe in Yahweh, or they only believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. So very few, unfortunately, truly believe the doctrine of the Word of God, that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all in one. The reason a lot of people don't believe that is because it's hard for them to grasp. How can three be in one. It just, mathematically, it doesn't make any sense. I'm going to give you some reasons and some Bible verses real quick why that's true. All right, first we're going to look at John chapter 1, verses 1, verses 3, and verses 14. In the beginning, that's where we at, Genesis chapter 1, we're in the beginning. It says, was the Word, referring to Jesus Christ. So right there we know that Jesus was in the beginning with God, and I have other verses to prove that as well. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, so Jesus was with God, with Yahweh the Father, and the Word was God. Get it? So Jesus and the Father are one. Jesus was with Yahweh in the beginning. They both are God. The Word was God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And the Word was made flesh. And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten Son of the Father, Yahweh, full of grace and truth. So get it. Nothing was made without Jesus. It says right here in John chapter 1. All things were made by him. So the Father and Jesus were co-creators in the beginning because they are one. They are both God. Now it says that Jesus existed before the world was. That's in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verse 5. Jesus also said that Moses and Abraham knew of, wrote of, and saw him in their days. That's found in John, chapter 5, verse 46, and John, chapter 8, verse 56. And these two ancient holy men of God lived centuries and millennia before Christ as we know him was ever born on the earth. Now, other, other verses referring to Jesus existing from the foundation of the world and to his presence in the creation of the universe can be found in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 26, 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 20, Revelation chapter 13 verse 8, John chapter 1 verse 10, Colossians chapter 1 verse 16, and Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2. So if you want to know if Jesus is God, if you want to know if he was in the beginning with God, go back and read all those chapters. That's your proof. Now in Genesis 1 also, the word God there in the Hebrew, which is also used 2,500 other times in the Holy Bible, is Elohim. I'm sure you've heard that before, Elohim. That Hebrew word means that Yahweh had some company. Because the I am in Hebrew words means plural. For example, with the angels you have seraphim, cherubim, meaning plurality. This backs up the doctrine of the Trinity then. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are Elohim. They're together. 
In John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus taught that I and my Father, Yahweh, are one. So he wasn't claiming to be God, per se. He wasn't, he wasn't putting himself above Yahweh like the Jews thought. He was saying, with my Father, Yahweh, we are God. Now, for, again, people who can't grasp three entities being one, I have the simplest theory in the world that you'll ever hear, that even a child can understand to explain the Trinity, and it's called the H2O theory. Okay, when you have water in liquid form, that would represent God the Father. So you have water in a dish or in a pan or whatnot, just look at it. The liquid form, that's God the Father. That's Yahweh El Elohi Israel. Now, when you take that same water and you put it in the freezer and you freeze it, you haven't done anything to that water. You haven't added to it. You haven't taken away from it. It's still the same water in that pan, the same water in that bowl. But when you freeze it, what happens? It becomes a solid form. That represents Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. Now, take that same water in that pan, and you put it on the stove, and you boil it. What do you get? You get steam from that same water, which you haven't added to and you haven't taken away from. That steam is another form of the water that represents the Holy Spirit. So, same water, same dish, same pan, haven't added to it or taken away from it, yet you still have three different appearances of the same entity. That would be God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Yahweh, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Hopefully, that will help you all understand it a lot better. There are also references to the Trinity in the Old Testament that a lot of people don't realize, which hopefully will help my Jewish brothers and sisters understand that Jesus was in the beginning with God, that he's with God. Um, it's Isaiah chapter 48, verse 16 is a big one. Come you near unto me, and I believe this is Jesus speaking, because it's the only way it makes any sense. If you read this verse without looking at it through that lens, it doesn't make sense. Come you near unto me, Jesus, hear you this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning, from the time that it was, there am I. So Jesus is saying, I was in the beginning. And now the Lord God, Yahweh, and his Spirit have sent me. So right there, in the book of Isaiah, you have the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Another one, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and 19. Jesus said, All power has been given to me over heaven and earth. Go you therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Trinity. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. That's 1 John chapter 5, verse 7. For in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bodily. And uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, it's known as the Shema in the Hebrew. All Jews have to memorize this and believe this. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh, thy God is one Yahweh. They all have to proclaim that, they all have to believe that. That is the biggest verse in Judaism. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh, your God is one Yahweh. But the word God there, again, is Elohim. So put that into context. Here, O Israel, Yahweh, our Elohim, is one Yahweh. So Yahweh, our Father, our Son, and our Holy Spirit, is one Yahweh, one God, in three. Now, before we close, now we are going to talk about 
uh, evolution in a second here, but first I want to finish off the rest of Genesis 1. Uh, let's see, God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Again, this destroys the uh, idea of transgenderism, that men can be women and women can be men, and uh, that you know men can lay with men or women can lay with women. Totally destroys it. God created a male and female. If you're a female, I'm calling you a woman. If you're a male, I'm calling you a man, period, end of story. All right, and God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. God gave us dominion, control. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree, and which is the fruit of a tree-yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat, and every beast of the earth, and every fowl of the air, and everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life. I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw every living thing that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Now, next Bible study, we're going to get into the seventh day, the Sabbath day. But to end today, I promised you last week and this week, evolution, how I'm going to debunk it. And we're going to do that right now. I've got a bunch of notes here from an article I had written a few years ago. So if you go on the website, you go to the search tab at the bottom of the website, Type in evolution. You can read the rest of this article. I'm just going to pull out some pieces of it to get my point across. Now, the theory of evolution is refuted completely 100% by God in his word of truth, especially in the book of Genesis chapter 1. Now, evolution claims that we humans have evolved from monkeys. God has said that he created man in his own image, as we just read. And I can assure you that the God which I and billions of people across the globe serve is not a monkey. No Christian or Jew should ever believe the lie of evolution, because by doing so, you call God a liar. Worse, on top of that, you're calling God a monkey. So think about that if you're a Christian or Jew for a minute. Evolution to me is nothing more than a bunch of monkey business, period. In evolution, we are supposed to observe a shifting between shapes of animal and plant life and fossil record. Charles Darwin used this as the basis for his theory in order to explain how men were, in his opinion, not created by God, but instead evolved from animals. All the fossils ever found have utterly disproved his theory. They are always of complete animals and plants. They are never works in progress. That is how we are able to give each distinct plant or animal a name. If the morphing of evolution were true, then every fossil would show change underway throughout the creature with new parts and various stages of completion. Every plant, animal, living or fossil, should be covered inside and out with use, useless growths and have parts under construction. It would result in grotesque mutant creatures. Darwin himself had even recognized this problem with his hypothesis. He wrote in his book on the origin of species, the number of intermediate varieties which have formerly existed on Earth must be truly enormous. Why then is not every geological formation and every stratum full of such intermediate links? Geology assuredly does not reveal any such finely graduated organic chain. And this, perhaps, is the most obvious and gravest objection which can be urged against my theory. So Darwin there is saying, probably not going to believe me, and you'd probably be wise not to believe me just because my theory is full of flaws. Next, the more fossils that are found, 
the better sense we have of what lived in the past. Since Darwin's day, the number of fossils collected has grown tremendously, so we now have an even more accurate picture. The gradual morphing of one type of creature to another that evolution predicts is nowhere to be found. There should be records of millions of transitional creatures. There are not. Not one. We cannot observe any partially evolved fish, frogs, lizards, birds, dogs, cats, beasts among us. Every species of plant and animal is complete and fully formed. That is fatal to the theory of evolution. The fossil record shows that evolution has never happened. But Darwin and the evolutionists want us to believe that elephants and manatees, primates and trees, all share the same common ancestors. They want you to believe that reindeer and whales morph from common ancestors. This belief, to me, takes a lot more faith than believing that an all-powerful, almighty God created each creature distinctively and made man in his image. The fact that animal and plant species are found fully formed in the fossil record is evidence for God's biblical account of creation, because it proves that they all were uniquely formed. Plus, humans and animals possess different traits specific to their own species. The human brain possesses complex qualities that have no parallel in the animal world. Man has far-reaching, ever-growing mental capabilities, and they begin at birth. Man possesses speech, and his creative communication by means of his vocal system is completely different from those of animals. Man has the unique ability to pay attention to various matters at will, and has an inconceivably wide range of interest and observation. Animals do not. Animals were created by God altogether different from humans. Only man is fully bipedal, meaning that he can walk upright because of the special structure of the spine. So our hands are not required for locomotion, and are available for other purposes, unlike apes, monkeys. Only man is able to express emotions, joy, peace, sadness, hope, faith, shyness, etc. While some animals have similar feelings, they cannot possibly compare, be compared to the amount of ever-changing human emotions. The fact is, as God's word states, he created each and every creature unique. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 38 and 39 says, God gives to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh for men, another flesh for beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. That is found in God's word. Now Ernst Chain, who was awarded the 1945 Nobel Prize for Physiology or Medicine, and is considered to be one of the founders of the field of antibiotics, spoke strongly against Darwin's theory. He concluded that he would rather believe in fairies than to ever believe in such wild speculation of Darwin. At the end of the day, friends, you either believe our perfect God's truth, which is found in the Holy Bible, or you believe the opinions of flawed, sinful men. Take your choice. Make your stand. I stand with God. I choose God. I believe God over men all day, every day. And that is a perfect way to end this Holy Bible study. I hope you all enjoyed it. And next week, we're going to pick up in chapter 2 of Genesis, and I hope you all will tune in. So as always, God bless and Godspeed. Well, that'll do it for Genesis chapter 1. Be sure to tune in next week as I begin Genesis chapter 2. Hope you all enjoyed it and learned a lot. Until next time, God bless you all.